page 18 in the booklets is where we are. If you're taking notes, which you should be doing, helps you remember it. What's this, a music stand for midgets? It needs to be at least three times as big. <laughs> you got the reference? Uh, okay. Guys, um, yesterday we saw what happens to Christians, and it was a good picture. Um, but tonight we're talking about what happens to everybody else, those who are outside the kingdom. We've been learning each morning about citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the Bible says that at the end of time, there will be some outside the kingdom. Now, this will be heavy. So I know Lachlan just prayed, but let me pray as well. Father, I pray that you would strike us with your truth. But I pray that there would not be one ear in this place who's not listening to the warning you have for us. Father, I pray that we would be able to trust in your goodness as we face these things. But God, I pray that these would wake us up. And Lord, I pray that not one person would go uh, to, to the place that we're going to speak about tonight, to hell. And Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, imagine a world without consequences. What would you do if you lived in a world without consequences? Stay up late. Wow. The things you could do. <laughs> a world without consequences. How many of you would actually like to live in a world like that? You haven't thought about it. A world without consequences. Imagine a world where there really was no God to judge. And so nothing actually really matters. And terrible evil stays unpunished. It wouldn't be good. Have you ever asked the question, where is the justice in the world? You know, all you have to do is look at the news. Arthur Philip Freeman faced court for murder. He drowned his four-year-old daughter by tossing her over a bridge into a river. He didn't help, even though he knew she could not swim, and she drowned. The parents of a seven-year-old girl, Ebony. Ebony was autistic and starved to death in her bedroom in Hawk's Nest. She was locked in there for years, and by the time she died at the age of seven, she weighed nine kilograms. This one's a bit longer, but I'll read a quote from the paper. Hundreds of thousands of children worldwide are thought to be working full-time on tobacco farms, suffering toxic levels of nicotine exposure and abusive labor conditions. In Malawi alone, there are an estimated 78,000 boys and girls employed in tobacco harvesting. On average, they earn 17 cents for a 12-hour day of back-breaking, bare-handed work, according to a recent report from Plan International. As well as those conditions, the children describe repeated physical and sexual abuse from their supervisors. Where is the justice in the world? Tonight, as we look at judgment and hell in the Bible, we'll see that God gives us a definitive answer to that question. Now, as we talk about some heavy stuff tonight, always remember that God is good, loving, and fair. Listen to these verses from the Bible. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good 
and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 89 verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. He's talking to God. Love and faithfulness go before you. And the Bible says it over and over again. It's the perfect combination. Good, loving, and fair. So as we look at this tonight, and in fact, as we face anything in our lives, it's amazing to be able to face it with the confidence that whatever we don't understand about it, we know this for sure, that God is good, that He is loving, and that He is fair. By looking at the world, it doesn't look like He's fair, does it? If God is fair, where is the justice? Well, the answer the Bible gives is, It's coming. It's actually one of the big promises of the Bible that we're waiting for. Jesus is coming back to judge. That's point two. If you've got your Bible there, turn in it to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17 verse 30 and 31. says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. There is a day coming when God will judge the world with justice and he'll do it by the man he's appointed. Who's that? It's Jesus. Jesus will return to this world and will bring justice. Now, have you ever seen pictures of people on the news having come out of court and they're crying because the guilty person got off or didn't get the sentence that they deserved? Our human courts are a picture of what Jesus will do on that day. But unlike our human courts where people don't get what they deserve, on that day there will be justice. People will get what they deserve. And who will be judged? Well, the verse said, everyone who has ever lived, all people everywhere. See, right now God is being patient. He loves us. He's giving people a chance to turn back to him. But the day is coming when God will say, that's enough. It's time to put a stop to this. Because God's heart demands justice, like ours does, but so much more. You know, when you look at a picture of injustice, you see a picture on the news of millions of starving people because of greedy corporations or corrupt politicians, and you get angry. You hate injustice. The first, some of the first words we learn to say as kids are, it's not fair. In our hearts, we long for justice to be done. Well, if you long for justice to be done, how much more do you think God wants justice to be done? And so that's why in the Bible, justice is a good thing. It puts things right. Judgment is a good thing. That's the next point. 
In the Bible, judgment is a thing to be longed for and a thing to praise God for. So if you turn to Isaiah 11, this is in the Old Testament, one of the big books of the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 11, you get a promise that God makes before Jesus about what the Messiah will do when he comes. Isaiah chapter 11, it'll come on the screen. He will not judge by what, or may, no, it won't come on the screen. Isaiah chapter 11, sorry, verse 3. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. He's not like our judges. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Before Jesus, that's God promising good things. I'm going to send a king and he is going to bring justice. Do you remember how we saw on the first night how the new creation will be restored, free from evil, pain and suffering? This is how he's going to do it. Jesus will judge the world with justice and he'll overthrow everything. That's wrong with the world. Imagine you're at school, right? And you find that someone has filled your school bag with cow poo. Yep, heavy days. And they've set it on fire. And then they're going around the school. They're still doing it. They're, just, uh, they're on like a, a crazy cow poo fire bag rampage. And so you go to your teacher. You're like, miss, someone's filled my bag with poo and set it on fire. She's like, meh. You're like, miss, they're on a rampage. Meh. What does that say about the teacher? Does she care about the school? Does she care about you? No, if she cared, she would do something. Will God just let evil go on forever? No. He cares about this world. He cares about his people too much. So because he loves them, he's going to judge the people who are doing evil. He's going to make evildoers stop. He's going to make sure they get fair punishment. And so this is how Jesus will set the world right when he comes back. But it will require judgment and punishment. Because he loves, because he's good, He's not going to let sin go unpunished. So ultimately, justice and judgment is a good thing. It puts things right, which is why, the next point, God will bring every deed into judgment. Have a look at Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. Ecclesiastes is a book. You go to Psalms, it's the next one, the next one. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. We're flicking around tonight, I'm sorry, but the Bible has so much to say on this. I want to get the full picture. It says this, God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And this is where it starts to personally affect you and me. See, every single person will be judged, which means that you and me will stand in front of Jesus the judge. And this verse says that God will bring every deed into judgment. No wrong will escape God's justice. Everything you've ever done or said, even thought, 
including, including the hidden things. You know those things that you think you're hiding from other people? Imagine that we had a DVD of your life, everything you've ever done on film, the things you're most ashamed of, even your thoughts. They're the voiceover. How many of you would be happy if we showed that DVD to all of your friends, family, everyone you know? I would run screaming out of this room, jump on a plane, fly to South America and disappear. We've all done things we're ashamed of. And if we're ashamed for people to see it, imagine how we'd feel if the God of the universe saw it. Well, he does see it. And one day he will bring every single thing we've done, said or thought into judgment. That is a scary thought. Especially uh, considering what we saw in this morning's talk. That we've all fallen so far short of the standards of the kingdom, which are perfection. I find it a scary thought. Because I know I'm a sinner. It's a scary thought, especially because God is fiercely angry at evil. Now, as I say this, I want to make clear that the Bible um, also says that while God is angry at evil, He weeps to punish it. He doesn't delight to punish any person, but He hates evil too much to let it go unpunished. So if you turn to Revelation 19, this is talking about Jesus when He comes back to judge. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes, this is talking about Jesus, his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. Now obviously there's some poetic imagery in this. I want you to skip down to verse 15. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's Jesus. Words aren't enough to describe the anger that Jesus feels at evil. And so he, the writer of this uses a picture, and the picture is of someone treading a wine press, stamping down on the grapes to crush them. Doesn't evil make you angry? When I hear about people who abuse children, or when I see pictures of poverty, I get angry. It's right to get angry at evil. It would actually be wrong to just be like, meh, who cares? If we get angry at evil, imagine how God feels. God is fiercely angry at evil. Now, is that your picture of God? Yes, God is a God of love, but he is also a God who gets angry. And so, guys, you can't have a one-dimensional view of God. Yes, Jesus is the gentle Humble Savior who loves. But he's also the mighty, righteous, warrior king who judges and makes war. 
Does your picture of Jesus give him his due place as the judge of the world? Guys, we should praise God for his justice. The Bible does it over and over again because it's entirely fair. Overlooking nothing, understanding all the factors and putting right all of the evil in the world. So praise him. He's going to bring justice. Praise him like Revelation 19. You don't have to turn it. It's on the screen. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. But what is the punishment for evil? Well, Jesus taught, Jesus taught that the punishment is hell. Now, Jesus spoke about hell a lot. Why? Because he loves us. If it's there, the only loving thing to do is to warn us. And that's, that's what I'm doing right now. Believe me, I don't get any fun out of talking about this topic. I'm telling you because I love you. I care about you. And I want to warn you, just like Jesus. I'm not making this up. All I'm going to do is tell you what Jesus has to say. And so let's read it together. Matthew 13. These ones are going to come up. You can turn there if you want, but we're going to move them quickly. Matthew 13, verse 37 to 43. He answered, this is Jesus speaking. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seeds stand for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. This is still Jesus speaking. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin. And all who do evil, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So what does Jesus say hell will be like? A blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is like, you know, feeling like, and you, you kind of almost grind your teeth. Who will go there? Everything that causes sin. All who do evil. All who do evil. That's us. That's me. So this is the punishment for sin. Here's another passage. Matthew eight twelve. But the subject of the kingdom... Now, just there, he's talking about the people who should have got the kingdom but didn't. The Jewish people, but uh, the people who should have got the kingdom but didn't. The subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 5.29. This is Jesus. If your right hand causes you to stumble, which means sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And you see there how seriously Jesus takes sin. One more, Matthew 25, verse 41. Depart from me, 
You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. What can we work out? There's a taste of them. What can we work out from those verses? Number one, Jesus taught that hell is real. A real place, not a metaphor, not a symbol, a place, the outer darkness. Number two, Jesus said, it is terrible. It will be a place of punishment, conscious punishment. We need to be careful here. Um, Lots of the images that the Bible uses are just that, they're images. For example, two of the ones we just looked at then said that it was a a blazing furnace and darkness. How can it be a furnace and dark? It was pretty clear Jesus is using images to get the point across. And so you might ask, well, will there be really fire or will it just be like fire? I'm like, I don't really, who cares? Is it fire? Is it like fire? Neither of those sound good to me. These pictures are used because the reality is so terrible. Straightforward language just isn't enough. To understand how bad it is, Jesus says, you need to picture fire. You need to picture darkness and gloom forever. Now, don't try, to work out, don't try too hard to work out exactly what it will be like. I think that Jesus' point is, it's going to be terrible. Worse than you can imagine. Some people, I've heard this, they say this, um, it will be fun because all the interesting people will be there. And that is, that's so stupid. Because hell is not a place where Satan is king and all the fun people have as much fun as they want. Satan won't be king. He'll be suffering punishment. Even demons shake at the thought of it. It won't be interesting people having fun. It will be evil people doing nothing but unrestrained evil to each other. A place where every single person is completely selfish, venomously hateful. Unlimited in their greediness. It won't be fun. Anyone who is not afraid of hell does not understand hell. Hell's not to be laughed at. And no one will be happy braving it in hell after the first minute. It is God's righteous anger being poured out on sin and evil. It will be terrible. Number three, Jesus said it is eternal. Have a look in your Bibles at Matthew 25:46. This is Jesus talking about what will happen on that judgment day. And here's his conclusion. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You got this two groups of people. One group will receive eternal life, the other group eternal punishment. And the same Greek word is used to describe both, eternal. So as eternal as the heaven will be, that's how eternal hell will be. Hell is not just the death of someone so that they don't exist. It's everlasting. Now recently many Christians have questioned that, suggesting that it's not everlasting. Instead, someone suffers punishment and then is destroyed. It's a view called annihilationism. That verse, and actually the rest of the Bible says that's not the case. It is eternal. As the joys of heaven are eternal, so are the pains of hell. 
And so one of the scariest verses in the Bible for me, Revelation 14, 11 says, And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day and night. Now, guys, I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm just reading to you the Bible. God's word. I don't enjoy thinking about it. I cried writing this talk. Because this is such an intense reality. And Jesus said it is irreversible. That's the fourth point on this. Listen to Jesus in Luke 16, 24 and following. This is a parable that Jesus um, tells. And this guy that he's about to talk about in the parable, he's in hell. And so he calls to God or to, to Father Abraham in the parable, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us is a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Once someone arrives in hell, there's no second chance. There's no purgatory where you pay off your sin and then cross over. It's irreversible, which is why this is so important. Jesus said hell is real, terrible, eternal and irreversible punishment from God. It is an, awesome, uh, is an awful prospect. But it is justice. No sin will be left undealt with. No evil will escape. God will judge the world perfectly. And this will be given to all who deserve it. And so I want to pause here and just ask, is that too harsh? Even if you spent 70 years of your life drowning children and starving them and using child labor to farm heroin. Would, would eternal punishment for 70 years, wouldn't that be a bit much? Well, that can be answered on two levels. Number one, the punishment for a wrong is actually never determined by how long it takes to commit. It only takes a minute to murder someone, but people can go to jail for life for murder. Is that unfair? No, the length of time it takes to do something has no impact on how serious it is or what punishment it deserves. So how do you measure how serious something is? Well, you measure it in terms of the act itself and the person that it's done against. So measuring the act of our sin, that's pretty easy. If you've lied, you're guilty of lying. If you've stolen, you're guilty of stealing. And all of us know the nature of the sins that we've committed. If you think seriously about it for a second, you'll realize that we're all guilty of an awfully long list of sins. We've all broken God's laws in more ways than are imaginable. Especially when you take into account what we've heard in the Sermon on the Mount, the standards that God has. They're good, perfect standards. And all of us have committed. If you are unconvinced of this, it's because you're kidding yourself or because you don't realize what God's standards are. So the act of our sin itself is serious. But the more important question is, who have you sinned against? Who is it that I sin against when I lie to my mum? Might sound like a stupid question. The answer is yes, I sin against my mum. But actually, 
The worst thing is I'm breaking God's law. It's God's law that I'm breaking. And so when you sin, you're rebelling against God. That's what makes sin so serious. This is the second reason that hell is not unfair. Because how serious something is depends on who you do it to. So imagine you're walking down the street and you see a man pulling apart a live worm. And you're like, all right, that's, that's creepy. <laughs> that's a bit gross. Um, you're not going to call the police. Imagine you're walking down the street and you see a person pulling apart a live cat. You'd probably get pretty angry. You'd yell at the guy, unless you like dogs. Um, you'd yell at the guy. You'd be repulsed. You might even call the police. Now, what would happen if you're walking down a street and you saw a man pulling apart a small child? You would be scarred for life. That person would go to jail for a long time. Now, it's the, it's the same act, but it's gone from a little bit gross to like the worst thing imaginable because of who you wronged by that act. So how serious something is depends on who you do it to. And we are sinning against the God who made the universe. God is far greater and more important than us than we are compared to a worm. So you might not, sin, might not think that sin is a big deal. That's because you haven't worked out that it's God that you're sinning against. And the, the existence of hell says that sinning against God is a massively serious thing. There's another way you can tell the seriousness of a problem. It's uh, what it takes to fix it. You can tell the seriousness of sin by what it costs God to save us from it. Our sin is so serious and hell's so fitting a punishment that God had to give his only son. Jesus' death on the cross as a substitute for our sin shows us how weighty our sin is. If there was any other way to save us from our sin, don't you think God would have taken it? If sin wasn't really a big deal, couldn't God have worked something else out? The fact that the cross was necessary shows us the justice of hell. So is hell unjust? No. Not when you take into account the nature of sin and who we've sinned against. Now, doesn't that make you appreciate Jesus' death for us so much more? His forgiveness will seem a small thing to you until you realize how much he hates your sin. Think about this. On the cross, Jesus took this punishment that we're talking about. To realize how amazing that is, you need to realize how seriously God takes sin. How massive that punishment was. And so it's actually against the backdrop of his justice that his love seems more amazing than ever. Despite all we've done, despite how serious it is, he still loves you. And he died for you. Guys, see how serious sin is tonight, but see how much Jesus loves you. See what a punishment he took for you. I'll give you one more application of this before we move on to some good news. 
The existence of hell tears apart our man or human centered view of the world. See, our world says humans are the most important thing. The most important thing is that humans are happy. But in hell, millions of human beings will be miserable forever. Which means there must be something more important than human happiness. God is. A human-centered view of the universe thinks that God, if he exists, exists for man's benefit. He's our grandfather in the sky. He owes us. And so if anything goes badly, it's his fault. He owes you because he exists for you. Now that view of God is actually using God. Have you ever felt used? It sucks. But so often that's how we treat God. The existence of hell says, no, you exist for God. It's not that God has failed to give you what he owes you. It's that you have failed to give God what you owe him. The existence of hell says God can do whatever he wants. No one can say to him, what have you done? That's from Daniel chapter 4 verse 35. He doesn't owe anyone anything. He is the owner of everything. The universe is not centered around you. It's not centered around humans. It is centered on God. And so we have no right to come to God saying, what's in it for me? And yet, how amazing is it that that God loves us and sent his son to die for us? Guys, see how good God is tonight? And so, see how serious sinning against him is. And see how much Jesus loves you. And what a punishment he took to save you. But there's one more thing that we have to say about hell. And that is, it is avoidable. Jesus said it is avoidable. See, we haven't asked the question, who will go there? Now, the starting point to answer that question is, we deserve to. We've failed to live up to the requirements of the kingdom. Every single one of us has sinned. Every single one of us will be found guilty of sinning when Jesus comes to judge. Every single one of us will be given the punishment we deserve, which Jesus said is hell. That's true for me. That's true for you. And it's true for every person on the planet. But Jesus said there is a way out. Hell is avoidable. It's free and anyone can have it. The only question is, will you take it? The way out is Jesus. Jesus offers to rescue anyone for free. That's the final and most important point that I have to say tonight. Jesus offers to rescue anyone for free. Revelation 21 verse 6. I want you to turn there. Revelation 21 verse 6. The best words that you could ever hear. It's Jesus speaking. Verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I, Jesus, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which means the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give without cost 
from the spring of the water of life. Listen to what Jesus offers. The water of life to the thirsty I will give without cost from the spring of life. Not death, life. Not hell, heaven, forever. And so here's what Jesus is saying to you tonight. I know you and I love you. I know you have done terrible things. Worse, actually, than you realize. But I gave my life to save you. I died to take your punishment. You don't have to go there. I will give you the water of life for free. Give your life to me. Let me be your king and savior and you will live forever with me in the new creation. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it anyway. You don't have to clean your life up first. Just come to me and take it. I will save you. How amazing is that offer? When you think about how serious our sin is, how much we deserve the punishment, Jesus says, take this, heaven, the water of life for free. Why is it free? Because he paid for it already. He paid for it with the cost of his life upon the cross so you could be saved. How amazing is that? And so now he says to you, let the one who is thirsty drink the water of life without cost. Please, guys, come to Jesus. I cried writing this talk. I care about your soul. Won't you care about your soul? If you are worried about hell, it's, it's avoidable. Take the water of life, Jesus, for free. Now, I know what uh, talking about this makes you worry about the people you care about. But before you worry about your loved ones, have you worried about yourself? You can't help them until you get yourself sorted. Guys, praise God. He is good. Remember we saw at the start, through it all, He is good. He is loving and He is fair. Jesus is coming back to judge. He will set the world right. There will be justice. And he loves. Oh, how he loves us. He sent a savior who paid at great price the cost so you could be saved. Hell is real, but it's avoidable. The water of life is free. It's Jesus. Praise him for his love. Praise him for his mercy. And guys, we have to get that message out. We have to tell people where they can get this water of life. Every hour, 6,000 people on this planet step off and enter either heaven or hell. This is the only way they can be saved. We have to get this message out. How good is our God that he saves? He saved already this week. Four people that I know of have crossed from death to life. How good is that? May there be many more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much.
that you will not let injustice continue forever. That you will put things right. That you will put a stop to evil and it will get what it deserves. We praise you for your justice. Lord, our hearts are heavy as we consider what that means. But God, I pray please that you would help every single person in this room to make sure that they are right with you. I thank you so much that you have provided a Savior that you didn't need to provide. Thank you for his love that he would take our punishment. We've seen how big that punishment was tonight. We thank you that he would love us enough to go there for us. Father, I pray that people in this room would take the water of life for free. In Jesus' name, amen.